We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. When it comes to political reporting in St. Louis, no one has done it better over the past 40 years than our own Joe Manis. Her career in St. Louis began at the Post-Dispatch a little more than 40 years ago. When she left the Post, she joined the staff of the St. Louis Beacon, the online news site, in 2009. The Beacon eventually merged with St. Louis Public Radio, where she has been ever since. But she leaves the Daily Grind here this week, and we asked her today to say goodbye, at least for now, and to share some career memories and Joe, you're just the warhorse. We wanted to reminisce with you. You come in, you want to talk about a story. <laughs> well, just just, just real quick, because I just want to make it clear. As far as the merger talk, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but the proposal that's being floated around, it's all about the earnings tax. I mean, because the consensus I've heard is that if the city and county are joined, as opposed to the city reentering as just a municipality, that the earnings tax would have to go away. There's an effort... Um, and that's about a third of the city's budget. Yeah. I mean, as far as income, uh, close to 40%, actually. Um, there's a number of cities around the country that do have some sort of earnings tax. And, of course, Kansas City has one. There's an effort in Jefferson City to try to do away with the income, earnings tax in both cities, even though the residents have voted for them and reauthorized them. It, this is a philosophical thing. There are uh, some activists, mainly Republicans, but some business people, who this is a really big deal with them. And if you look at what the Show Me Institute just put out this week of their uh, proposals for this legislative session, getting rid of the earnings taxes among them. And many of the financial backers of the Show Me Institute are the same ones who are behind Better Together. I'm, and I emphasize, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is. You know, And I think people need to be aware of all the factors, and then they can decide what they want. It'll be interesting to see how the Better Together idea would, if in fact this all falls into place as we've been hearing it might be, how uh, they would make up for that, what's that, $168 million shortfall would be if the earnings tax were eliminated? Well, and you look, some of the advocates were also very active um, in can the state of Kansas um, experiment the last few years and as far as getting rid of the state income tax, which is also a big deal for Rex Lingfeld and some of his allies, um, that didn't work out very well. I mean, Kansas is really having to dig itself out of a huge financial hole. And um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. I've talked to some politicians who privately are not keen on this. They've got some others who are for it. It's interesting that most of them are staying quiet because they want to see how this sort of plays out. But I think that uh, we have my colleague and I, Jason Rosenbaum, have a really good podcast this week featuring Lisa Clancy, who's one of the newest members of the uh, county council. And she had some very, um, uh, very interesting comments, deep comments about it, about the, the concern about the state trying to tell the city and the region uh, what to do. So I'm just advertising that if people want to go to the Politically Speaking podcast to, on the St. Louis Public Radio website and listen to that, that also will give you some details, sure. uh, in addition to Professor Jones's really good presentation that you just had. 
Now, will you relax a little bit for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> no. what, what are you thinking these days? I mean, you're, you're at the, the, the end of the trail, as it were, in terms of uh, the, the kind of work you've been doing all these years. What are your thoughts as you contemplate retirement? Well, um, a, I mean, I've got some personal things like we're downsizing and all that. We, I need to focus on that. And I have a granddaughter here who I don't see that much. And I have another one on the way. And I need to spend more time with my family. Um, I don't want to be – I look, you know, at journalism, which I dearly love. I don't want to be one of those people who stay too long. And so I've tried to be self-aware. Um, I'm almost 67 um, my my knees are an issue, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I just I just want to have I, I don't know how much time I have left on none this of us, planet. None of us, none of us do, and while I do care about what I do, and I hope to be able to um, do it some, um, there's other things I want to do in life too, and I think also. Sometimes I think you need to step back and just process everything that that you've done or witnessed or been involved in. I think you need to have a little time for that. I mean, too. But again, I don't want to be one of those people who are the, who they're like, well, she hung around too long. She doesn't, she's not really, you know, aware of what's going on. I've seen that happen with a few people in journalism, not many, but I don't want to be one of those. You know, I just have to think with the uh, political season forthcoming, it's already started, the, yeah. the race toward 2020, that you're going to be like that fire horse. When it hears the bell ring, it's going to want to go to a fire. Yeah, but I'm hoping to pick and choose which fire I go to. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and we've got a good staff, great staff here. They're hiring some new young people, and they're going to have fresh ideas and fresh views on mm-hmm. it. And I think a mix of the fresh and those of us who've been around for a while is a good thing. I hope to prov- be uh, provide some insight or maybe some coverage, but it's time for other people to to get involved and to be the the big fire horses. I can just kind of, you know, maybe s- think about okay, what's not being covered, what needs to be covered. I'm I'm crazy about campaign finance, still am, and um, would like to spend a little more time on that. I mean, there's just various things, and there may be things that come up or maybe I can provide a little bit have a historical perspective but it's time I don't want to be one of those people who stands in the way of um, progress or young journalists who often have really good ideas especially in this age where there's a lot of different ways to get your message out and different ways of doing things and I am I encourage the listeners and our readers to uh, pay attention to that as well. But you've mastered that. It was quite a change for you to come from the print journalism into a radio environment and learn how to use the equipment and learn how to talk on the radio and and learn how to deal with the technology. You've done all of that. Well, I don't know if some people would say (laughs) it's a question about how well I've done that. But um, you've done it well. It's, you know, I mean, there's good and bad things about it. I mean, radio was not my first choice. But on the other hand, um, as far as, you know, what I would do, I, I am a writer. But there are, but you do reach a lot of people on the radio. And uh, and you can kind of make snap judgments about what needs to be said, just like what I did on the earnings tax about two minutes ago. But, I mean, where you can just say, okay, this needs to be out there. And uh, so that's been fun. And it does require on every major story that there be two versions, radio and print. And that does help you kind of, go through your thoughts and think, well, what do the listeners want to know as opposed to what do the readers want to know? 
And so, yeah, I mean, I've been very lucky. I am very, very beholden to uh, St. Louis Public Radio, especially um, the uh, station chief, uh, Timmy B, who's done, a, who did a fantastic job kind of crafting this whole merger business, which um, some people had questions whether it would work out. I think it's worked out great. And I think, I mean, frankly, St. Louis Public Radio has, I think, the second largest newsroom in the region. Um, and um, wh- while that's sad, because that's what what it says about other newsrooms, at least we've got it. You know, at least we're trying what we can. We can't do everything. I've tried to do more slightly longer, more in-depth pieces and stuff and, and save Twitter for the fire hose. And... Um, I, I think, you know, we do what we can. I mean, nobody's perfect, and I'm sure there's stories we've missed because of our small staff. But uh, we do try to provide perspective. And so when people do read one of our stories, they get a sense of, okay, here's what's really going on. You're going to be saying we as opposed to they for a long time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's go back a little bit, though. What stands out? We can, we can go back to your early days as a sports reporter, which <laughs> a lot of people might find a little difficult to believe, but uh, that's, in fact, how you started. Yeah, yeah, because my dad was a basketball coach and actually fairly well-known high school basketball coach in Indiana. And so I grew up around sports. Unfortunately, I was not gifted. I have a sister and brother who are, but I... I have a brother and myself who are not as far as it comes to sports. And, uh, you know, I grew up around it, but it's not my first love. It's always been politics, always, ever since I was a little kid, always. And um, I'd say the things that stand out, I mean, I've been lucky that I've spent most of my career in um, St. Louis. Most people don't have that luxury, um, although I was in the Washington Bureau with Post-Dispatch a little over four years back in the day when we had eight reporters and a two-member staff. Now they have one guy who works partly out of his house, uh, who does a great job, by the way, but still, it's not the same. Um, so, I mean, I got so many stories in my head. Uh, you know, it, it just uh, is amazing. Um, if there's anything particular, I would say the the, the saddest story I ever covered was Mel Carnahan's plane crash in 2000 because I knew the people who were on the plane and um, it was unexpected and and it was just, I mean, in the middle of a really, really busy week and I had just seen him um, about 36 hours before and uh, actually less than that. But um, it was, that was a very... Um, I think emotional experience for a lot of the reporters mm-hmm. involved because we do, I uh, say, Chris Sifford, his, his uh, press spokesman, a.k.a., you know, confidant, a.k.a. closest aide, was on the plane with him along with his son. And uh, that really changed the course of politics in Missouri and particularly for the Democratic Party. I think that you look at the uh, troubles that the Missouri Democratic Party has had um, – trying to appeal to rural voters or trying to get their message out or how they should do it or who who runs for what. Um, I mean, both parties have their problems. Um, but for the Democrats, I think it really goes back to that plane crash. I really do. I think because uh, Mel Carnahan was not a charismatic figure. He was not. But he was extremely cerebral and had really thought about things. And was so involved behind the scenes in what was going on uh, in the state Democratic ranks. I mean, it, it's of one of the 
of the various players that I've covered over the years, there's different people who stand out for different reasons. And um, uh, he does for that. Who are some of the others? I mean, we covered, you've covered some people who have gone on from Missouri politics to national stature. <clears throat> well, there's a number of them. Of course, I mean, I was lucky enough that I was in the Washington Bureau when uh, uh, John Danforth and Tom Eagleton were both, uh, you know, in the U.S. Senate and um, from different parties, didn't always agree on stuff. They used to hold these uh, joint uh, uh, meetings with – this was especially true of uh, the anti-abortion crowd that used to come. You know, it comes to Washington every year for the march in January. They will be there again in a week or two. Well, uh, Danforth and Eagleton used to hold a joint meeting with them. And so they would sit there, and both of them, frankly, had similar views on abortion to some degree, but there were differences. But the point is they would talk about other things, and they would each of them take turns kind of leaning against a desk or whatever was there, and they would be friendly debating or making little, you know, cracks or um, joking around and to get their message across. And so the whole atmosphere was one of, okay, we're debating the issues, but this isn't personal, and we'll go out and— you know, have dinner together or whatever afterwards, you know, and um, you don't see that now. And so I was lucky enough to witness that, and I'm glad I got to. I mean, not that they didn't have their flaws like everybody. And um, Eagleton used to have his his big thing was to, this is back in the day before, cell phones and all that stuff. You know, the, the it used to be those messengers that rode around on bikes with the helmets. And... Um, if he didn't like something that you did or didn't like a story, he was big on writing notes. You know, he would write notes. And I still have some. So they would write these notes, and he would send a messenger, you know, in with them. And so this guy in shorts and a helmet would come running into our little office, and everybody else got used to it, and they would go, ooh, because <laughs> they would know there would be some note, often from Eagleton. The kid would slam it on my desk and then run out, and it would always, you know, be... But on the other hand, when I'd see him in the halls, he'd be um, really interesting. And he one time reenacted most of the Nicholas Nickleby play in Washington mm-hmm. for me while I was in the off in his office one time. And there's different weird odd things like that. And uh, of course, the sad things are like um, you know Buzz Westfall dying unexpectedly, and I was heavily involved in t- while he was ill because they tried to keep that a secret, and I was in to call my sources. I worked at the Post-Dispatch then, and we were trying to get all the stuff and figuring out what was appropriate to print and what wasn't before his death. And, of course, there was the Tom Schweik suicide, which was stunning. And I, I got a call from a key source uh, on the other side, on a Democratic side, who called me and told me he had just been wheeled into the hospital. What was the biggest story you've ever covered? I would say, I mean, for me personally, the biggest would probably be the Carnahan plane crash because it went on for so many weeks. It got national attention. Um, I mean, every every big story is different. I mean, you know, the Holly McCaskill contest that we just finished um, got a lot of national attention, record amount of money spent. The Greitens case also The Greitens case. Yeah. I mean— the Greitens case was an odd one in that um, I had covered – okay, I, rem- I remember covering his announcement um, in in the fall of 2015 that he was running, uh, then, you know, covering his contest. Uh, you know, he was among four who were running for the GOP nomination. I think if there had been fewer 
uh, Republican candidates. I don't know if one of the others might have uh, overtaken him in the primary, but he had very engaging ads, and and that's and that's part of it now. I mean, and um, had a thought-provoking message, interesting person to cover. Um, but I, as I've said a gazillion times, the problem for him was that um, he didn't like politicians. He had a sense he really didn't like politics. He had a goal of what he wanted to do. And um, when things started to get in the way of that, he didn't know how to negotiate or even talk to people. I mean, it, it was kind of sad because when he came in, there was a lot of Republicans who had really high hopes of where he was going to go. We have a number of people who want to communicate with you through Facebook. <laughs> so let me give you their questions okay, okay. and give me short answers so we can All get right, a lot of okay, them in. Sorry. Uh, Lisa asks, what's the hardest story you ever had to report on and why? I'll answer that for you. I'm sure it was the Carnahan story, yeah. as you have indicated. Rachel asks, what advice would you give to younger reporters who are thinking they might want to cover politics? Well, I think they have to be willing to go to the small meetings and go to the small events. Uh, I've always run into some uh, young reporters who think they can start out covering some big thing. One of the things that helped me the most was the fact that um, when I first came to the Post-Dispatch, the newest reporter had to cover night police. And of course, that Bill McClellan became a columnist mainly because of his stint at it. But the point is it helps everybody. I mean, that kind of basic journalism, I covered so many night meetings, so many uh, small gatherings over the decades you know, from the small papers I worked at before I came to St. Louis and in St. Louis. And while they're a drag and it, it kind of messes up your personal life, I got to say that then when you're dealing with broader stories, you have a real much more depth in-depth knowledge of what's going on and who the players are. I mean, the, the county council meetings, which I've, you know, preached that we need to cover, and I've been covering them for years, and so has Jason, we switch off. Um, I think it's the kind of thing that then when you do have to do something on uh, the county executive or whatever, you have a sense of the dynamics, what are the players, what are, what are some of the petty things that have built up. And I think... People have to be, you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to use the shoe leather. It's not just Googling stuff or talking to people on the phone. You've got to be able to um, get out there. Yeah. And, that, and that also does a number on your knees, but, but, <laughs> but you do have to do that. Let's take a call. Max and Veronica Park is with us. Go ahead. Max, you're on the air with Joe Manis. Yeah, good answer. Real quick, um, a job well done. Thank you. I don't know who's going to replace you in the big picture here in St. Louis. Um, and uh, St. Louis is so much the poor part. But I know what you mean by getting out there and doing it. You can't cover things in a virtual world. Not until we're all matrix. So thanks again. Good luck to you. you, you have a, a, I'll hope you have a great retirement. Yeah, well, one of the other interesting – thank you, thank you, thank you so much. One of the interesting stories that I was heavily involved in for actually a couple of years was the whole Ram stuff back in the early 90s when they were coming. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, was in Chicago during a lot of the negotiations and all that stuff and, you know, was flown to Florida, to Jacksonville and different things. That was intriguing. I mean, because I was a political reporter, but I was covering – basically a sports slash political story. And that went on for some time. And that actually 
uh, in some ways was one of the bigger stories I covered, especially now. You're looking forward 25, 26 years with all the stuff that happened with the Rams leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, Don, you know this as well, too. Sometimes when you've covered something a long time ago and things change 20 years later, at least you have a context of, okay, this is what happened, and this may have been why this didn't work. And look what happened. Now the Rams are winning football games. It's it's only taken yep. all these years. We have an email from Bob Holt, whom you'll remember from your days at the Post-Dispatch. Yes. He says, I worked with Joe for decades at the paper and have enjoyed her on the air recently, and please wish her well in her next endeavor. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's very of, nice. Of, that's very, very, very nice of him. We had a nice uh, reception here the other night for you and for Linda Lockhart, who yes. was also leaving. Yes, and she's a, great uh, lo- a lot of your buddies from the Post were there to say goodbye. I want to read you something from Mary Edwards, uh, who is a longtime producer, executive producer of this program. She recently retired, and here's her note: Joe and I are the same age, and I recognize how lucky I am to have been able to work forty plus years for the same organization. Something that was not possible for Joe. It is truly admirable too that she was able and willing to add the audio skills needed to work in radio, something that could not have been easy. P.S. I found Joe at her desk two minutes before her retirement party that I just mentioned, two minutes before that was supposed to start and suggested she should go downstairs. Her answer, I have to finish this story first. (laughs) (laughs) That's Joe Manis. That's the way you are. And I I just can't imagine that's the way you're not going to continue to be in some form or another. Yeah, actually, that story is now on our website, and it's about Ann Wagner talking about the 2nd District and what's going on there and how that affects Republican politics nationally, and I have a bunch of graphics that I was lucky to get from um, a think tank in Washington, D.C., and I think if you're interested in politics, you should check that out. And um, it it was nice not to have something, you know, a little meaty to do at the end that that kind of of fell in. I wanted to do something on that and not not some of the piecemeal stuff that had been going on about – What's going on in uh, on, on the Republican side locally in the last couple months? Right. Well, we're saying goodbye to you formally on this program, but I'll say hello to you on the 16th <laughs> when we work together for a couple of minutes yes. for the State of the State Address, which we're broadcasting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon yes. on that day. Joe, I look forward to that, and I look forward to many more hours with you as you kind of uh, go through your retirement and come back to see us from time to time. Okay, well, thanks so it's much for great. asking me. I've, I've been very, very lucky and uh, I hope our listeners, um, they do. They I, w- I wish the best to all of them. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.